Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. <laughs> Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like, I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go into the Marvel Wikipedia and whatever it is. <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another justice-filled episode of Comics, Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight and joining me tonight on our Justice League film tie-in episode solo picks are two, count them, two of my fellow Justice Leaguers. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, this is Justin. Hey guys, this is Tony. And uh, Derek, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Barry always spoke highly of you. So we are doing a Justice League tie-in series of episodes, but we're not doing, well, we eventually will do kind of a traditional Justice League tie-in episode with actual Justice League comic books, but we're actually approaching some of these tie-in episodes just a little differently. What we're doing is we're focusing on the solo characters that are appearing in the film that hopefully, if it still meets its release date of November 17th, 2017, you'll probably be listening to this sometime in the month of November. But what we decided was we're going to do one episode where we cover specific Justice League characters. So we're actually going to do solo stories for each of those characters. And all of us have picked a specific book. So basically what we decided to do for tonight was to focus on solo characters. And to start us off, We've got Tony, and we're going to have Tony tell us what character from the Justice League film he selected and what comic book he selected featuring that character. So take it away, Tony. Cool. Thank you. One of the characters I've always liked about Justice League, uh, me and Derek were actually talking about this last night. He's actually not a character I've read a lot, surprisingly, considering how much I do like the character and how much I like his TV show. But that's not a hint. My character is The Flash. Specifically, I really like the Wally West version. He is my favorite. I do like Barry on the show, and Barry has had a resurgence, but Wally's always going to be my guy. So for me, I picked Adventures of Superman 463. This is like, you know, the Dan Jurgens era. He, he's the guy who's not only doing the pencils, but he's guy who's doing the the writings on it and everything so you know that's pretty cool because he, he i mean as far as i go Derek, he has probably one of the best runs on superman all right yeah yeah dan jurgens is a, a fairly solid guy i mean he's he's writing superman right now you know like so he's yeah. back yeah, <laughs> I did yeah, not yeah. Even... yeah yeah so this this was released in 1990s it's 
Got Therbert doing, you know, some stuff on there. He's doing the inker and everything. This is a pretty straightforward issue because we have Mr. Mitzelplick. And these are always fun stories because I know some people don't like Mitzi. They think he's like kind of a cartoony character. I mean, he is, but he does have like a very malicious side to him sometimes. He can be a pain in the ass. He's a trickster after all. So basically this, one of the reasons I picked it is it's it's one of the greatest parallels that you always hear about in DC. Who's faster, the Flash or Superman? Because Superman does have super speed. This is a little caveat though. Mitzi says, you know, that Superman has to beat the Flash. And, you know, he's like pretty, you know, pretty sure the Flash is going to win because Wally is not like Barry. Wally, uh, he's, let's be honest, he could be a jerk or arrogant sometimes. And his pride does is like telling him that he has to win. You know, he has to beat Superman in this race. Even if, you know, the, the result will be, you know, Mixie going crazy ass on like, you know, the, the world or at least very much at least a very much uh love city metropolis to superman so throughout the race of course it's missile plick so there's going to be you know uh shenanigans he's not just going to let them have a race come on really do you know missile plick come on so you know you have all kinds of what a fit uh, is a fifth or ninth dimension what, which one is he fifth dimension missile fifth dimension. the fifth dimension yeah, I don't know why I was thinking ninth, but it's all kind of, sh- you know, shenanigans and stuff. And, you know, it, it's kind of funny, though, because even though Wally is wanting to win the race, he does, you know, have it in his head. He's still a hero. He knows that, like, Superman, you know, if he loses, like, Mitzelplik, you know, wins. And, you know, that also ties into, you know, like, you know, how, how Wally is a, as a person. You know, he is conflicted, still more prideful. <laughs> There's also a bunch of characters who show up in this. My like, not my Justice League, but um, the majority of the characters I like from that Justice League run. Like, I'm not a big like, you know, Mr. Miracle fan, but he, you know, he he was there. He was in that Justice League iteration, and he's there. You know, there's a little. God, like pretty much all of Superman's supporting cast because it's a race, you know, it's a big thing, you know, like we want to see who's going to win, who's going to be the guy. I hate to give you spoilers, folks, but while he does inadvertently win, say inadvertently because, well, you know, I, I don't want to give everything away. You uh, would have to read it because it is kind of uh, amusing. Even though he does win, Mitzelplik still gets foiled, which is prime Mitzelplik. Even when he wins, he loses. So at the end of the day, like, even though he had this, like, grand scheme to, like, you know, humble Superman and, you know, like, all this stuff, it, in the end, it still doesn't work out his way. So he's gone again for 90 days, you know, not to return until he had his mojo back. One of the things I really liked about this was it was it had a really nice old school feel. I mean, the, the Superman and, and Flash in this are still more modern iterations, more or less. But, like, you know, the Flash r- racing against Superman... That's just a classic story. And for some reason, I don't know why, but every time they do it, they're able to put a, a, a fresh spin on it. So it's not, you know, because like, okay, like if you're a fan of Superman like Derek, you know, there is that part of you that even if you know that the Flash is like, you know, the god of the speed force and all that shit, which at this point he wasn't. This this Flash had not reached those levels yet. He was still, you know, I won't say he was transitioning into being the Flash. He was the Flash. He had been the Flash for a little while. But he was not the Wally we knew from, like, the late 90s, you know, or 2000s. He he had not become, like, just super ridiculously powerful. So there's part of you think that Superman can win. Or, you know, he will win because he's Superman. But, you know, there's also that party that wants the Flash to win because he – that's his only power. He's fast. Superman has all these amazing powers. And you want Wally – you know, the Flash. I wanted Wally to win just because I like Wally. You want the Flash to win because – 
that's his that's his crowning achievement. He is the fastest man alive. So, you know, whenever you have that story, it doesn't matter what era it is. And I actually did look this up. I did not know this, but I was kind of curious. This is the first Flash Superman race since Crisis on Infinite Earths. So this was a long time coming because, you know, Crisis was in like, you know, the early mid 80s. So been a couple of years, you know, and this was in 1990. And like, I just, it just enjoy, enjoyed it. It was like, you know, I don't know if wholesome's the word, but classic. It was, it was, it was a classic pairing, you know, it was a classic rivalry. And the fact that, again, that Wally is not Barry, that he's not that guy who it can be humble, you know, cause, cause Barry might've actually thrown the race, you know, like intentionally you know, <laughs> to have Wally be that guy who, who there is those moments where like, you know, he's just like, no, I, I want to win. I want to fucking beat Superman. Who wouldn't? I thought that was really good. So, you know, everything that the way it wraps up is nice and, you know, tidy, you know, when Mr. Blick losing, cause he had to lose and all the cameos, like so many, so many fucking justice leaguers, which helps, you know, the fact that this is a tie into the justice league movie. Yeah. It was just a fun read. I don't know. I, I enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, it is, it is aspiring to uh classic flash superman races i mean like you said most of those were pre-crisis but i mean even the cover of adventures of superman 463 is basically an homage to superman 199 you know i mean everything down to you know batman being in the left-hand corner and everything except for he's you know grim darks batman you know in this (laughs) comic whereas he's more like a a dick sprang looking batman and superman 199 but yeah i mean all all that kind of stuff is very classic i i think some of the stuff that always kind of baffled me was even though i was a young kid and i was pretty i'd say i was more willing to accept that the post-crisis universe was not the same universe I was familiar with, say from Super Friends or, or you know, some of the earlier DC comics and stuff. I think because I saw Mitzelplik so much on the Super Friends, like I had always had it in my head, like the way Mitzelplik worked was you got him to say his name backwards and he vanished. Like I'd seen so many Super Friends episodes. And it's like, it, it was interesting because you know, we, we discussed this comic before, but in the, the John Byrne reboot, you know, in Superman 11, like he kind of sets up the idea that that was just something arbitrary that Mitzelplik came up with. So like, he's sort of honoring a deal, but it's not necessarily, it's not like if you get him to say his name backwards, he will always disappear. It's just, he agreed to that, that one time and they were constantly playing with that. So the reason why he ends up, I guess, losing is his whole intent was he thought that Superman would win the race. So he was trying to tell a fib and lie because the last time Mitzelplik rolled into town, it was when Superman was in exile after invasion. And the only person to defend Metropolis from Mitzelplik was Lex Luthor. And of course, Lex Luthor is, you know, a shyster business guy who basically tricks Mitzelplik and and basically reneges on his agreement. So now that he has sort of been trained in the art of, you know, corporate, you know, shenanigans, like he he's trying to pull a fast one on Superman, basically going, oh, well, I know Superman's going to win this race. So the only way I'll actually really win, even though I won't say it outright, is if Flash wins the race. And when Flash actually comes through, like most people want him to, 
then Mitzelflick is like, I don't know how you knew this, but, you know, I, you know, I was planning to renege on our deal, but now I can't, I can't be a shyster because you figured me out, you know? And so, like, but I, I remember that always kind of baffled me because I always thought as a kid, like, he had, like, it, it wasn't like an agreement. Like, I always just thought if he said Kiltic Zixum, he had to go back. Like, like it was involuntary. That's Whereas, like a part of his power or something. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's like, it's like that, that it just happened, you know? But, in in this case, it's it's more like they were playing kind of fast with the rules of of you know the imp from the fifth dimension. It's like he, you know he could just say, oh well, if you get me to toke up and smoke some weed, I'll go back to the fifth dimension. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like that could be like a new agreement. And it's like then Superman's like, well, how am I going to get him to toke up? You know, like that. That's basically like you know it's like so straight edge. It it kind of it kind of like baffled me as a kid because I'm like, wait a minute. So they could just change the rules. It's like if you accidentally eat a Hershey's chocolate bar with almonds, then you have to go back to the fifth dimension. And it's like, why are they changing the rules every time he shows up? It's like it's just I was like, it's supposed to be he says his fucking name backwards and he goes back to the fifth dimension. But they, I guess they were trying to make things interesting. And 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 like you were saying too, the the notion that you know, Wally was not yet the Speed Force guru guy, you know, like th this was a very, you know, grounded sort of marvelization of a lot of the DC characters, you know, going into the post-crisis universe. So you'll see like as he's traveling through all these different countries, you know, they're having this race across the planet, like all these people are, you know, kind of like a marathon race, you know, they're handing them hamburgers and, you know, drinks of water and all this other stuff so he can actually continue the race because at this point in time you know if people have ever watched the john wesley ship flash like they used a lot of elements of early post-crisis wally west in the storytelling there where you know he was always eating a bunch of stuff because he was burning energy so fast so he had to yes his metabolism is like crazy yeah. yeah yeah and so so that was also applicable to this scenario you know and, and then it's kind of interesting because they have that conversation about how you know wally's kind of like well don't you have to eat and he's like well he's like i am eating but not food you know i'm i'm basically not directly eating but i get my powers from the sun and it's like yeah. the sun's out so I'm, I'm kind of eating as we run you know but but you don't you don't see me do that you know so yeah i, I yeah it is it is fun how they worked in like the like the newer versions of like how superman and flash work you know because again i'm not as a huge a superman fan as you're derek I, I know that the sun thing has been a thing for a while but was it really brought to the forefront during the burn era I mean, it was probably a thing before that, but, you know, like, because obviously it was mentioned in the movie, it was mentioned in, like, other comics and stuff like that. I'm not exactly sure who to pin the blame on, but, but yeah, I mean, you know, John Byrne definitely, you know, that, that was something that was brought more to the, you know, that, that was more part of the pseudoscience that was explaining Superman, you know, I, I mean, maybe you could pin it on somebody like Mort Weisinger or something, I'm guessing, but, you know, like, like I'm sure there's some throwaway line of dialogue in a old Silver Age book that explains, you know, where he got his powers from and how, the, you know, it, it's like even in the early books, they talk about how the Earth has lesser gravity, you know, because it's like, you know, some of those early Golden Age books, you imagine like Krypton's just a bunch of guys that are like jumping jelly beans that like, you know, jump yeah, all over say, fucking... Yeah, he just, he just leaped in, like, the early issues. Yeah, like, yeah, like, the they, they all, they all yeah. just jump over Krypton and shit because it didn't have the same 
you know, gravity or, or what have you. I, I enjoyed this. It's it's interesting because it's like a snapshot into like a weird era. You know, it's it's like it's got these subplots where you're like sitting there going, oh, this is when this is when like Clark Kent was editor of, of Newstime magazine. Like that's like a weird kind of like off kilter tangent like if you weren't if you weren't reading the ongoing books and stuff and it, it just brought back all these memories where i'm like oh yeah it's like i mean you know 20 million year old spoilers but it's like colin thornton his his boss basically the guy who runs Newstime magazine is actually satanish like the evil bad guy so it's like it's funny like yeah. like you know you, you it's like i remember this stuff but it but it is certainly like an interesting snapshot or like you you were talking about the supporting cast of like superman or seeing like justice league europe and justice league international you know cheering on you know the 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 contestants as they go on the race but like another thing like i i sort of forgot about like because this is, like, early on in, like, the Wally West run, so it's, like, his girlfriend's there cheering him on from the TV screen, but it's, like, you know, it's not Linda Park or anybody, you know, it's, like, it was early on, so this girl Connie Nolsky was his girlfriend at the time. That threw me, I didn't know who it was. I was yeah, like, it's, like, it's, like, this blonde who's cheering him on from the TV set, you know, it's, like, and then and then I knew... I, I remember the guy Mason who he's having like lunch with at first. I'm like, I remember he's like an important character, but I, I couldn't remember totally. And then I just looked him up real quick before we did the show. And it's like, I mean, he was like Wally West's roommate, like in the early issues of flash. And he even like, you might get a kick out of this, Justin, but like, apparently he was old enough to be like the sidekick of like an old school, like vigilante guy. And like, basically it's like, it was like their version of, the shadow or whatever because the dude's name was like the clipper and like i mean he he basically was like the shadow but like he he was the 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 clipper's sidekick and at some point he tried to be the clipper himself and like i just stuff i totally like forgot you know like i had purged from my memory but i know like some of the earliest issues of the wally west flash that I read had, they, they were roommates at the time. And so it's like, kind of like going like, Oh yeah, I remember like, you know, it's, it's like a snapshot into a, a certain era of kind of subplots and supporting characters that maybe are not necessarily universally associated with, you know, Superman and the flash. But yet at this point in time, they were sort of this vital tether to, you know, the ongoing narrative of the comics at the time. Yeah, I, I've read a lot of those pre-Mark Wade issues, and to be honest, a lot of that didn't stick in my brain. So, like, I, when I was reading this, I was kind of like, kind of like you, I was going, "Oh yeah, this is and and that, and that was, and, oh yeah." But like for me, I read this issue a couple years later because, like, I've always been a fan of the Flash. Like, I one of my like early memories of like being in kindergarten is like when we would play superheroes a lot of the times like i would just be the flash i would just run around in circles and then whoever was like being the bad guy whether it was like you know somebody pretending to be like luthor or you know dark side or whatever like i would run around in a circle and then i would just run up to them and i'd be like you're defeated and they'd be like what? what are you talking about I'm like i'm the flash i just punched you a thousand times in a second you're defeated and then that would be like a huge like you know playground <laughs> argument or something <laughs> 
Yeah. You did not, did too, did not, did too. Flash can't do that. Can too, cannot. So, like, I, I've always loved the Flash. Like, he's one of my favorite characters. I remember getting this when I was, like, really into the Mark Wade run because, like, that really, really got me hooked into the yeah, Flash. And yeah. I, I remember seeing the original comic that this comic, you know, swipes the cover of like i remember my uncle had that and i was like whoa cool it's superman racing the flash and i i saw this like at a flea market or something and i was like oh cool like this is like a new you know a new superman versus flash race well i gotta get this and like there's a lot of stuff in this that like i i really appreciate for uh you know as far as well i goes like there's this little scene where like superman's like what we really have here is a race between Superman and Kid Flash, and Wally's just like, all right, that's enough. Like, because, like, at this point, you know, even though it's been a while since Crisis, like, Wally is still dealing with a lot of this kind of baggage where, you know, he, he was Kid Flash, Barry died, and now he's Flash, and he's using, you know, a, the Flash costume. And he's still dealing with that, and he's still, you know, even from Superman, like, people are still kind of like, you know, okay, cool, you're, you know, you're the Flash, you're doing good, you're a superhero, but he's, they're still comparing him to Barry and all this, and, like, there's, there's several moments in that, in this comic where Wally's just kind of like, all right, I've had enough, and, you know, like, stop comparing me to Barry, I am my own person, and, like, I remember, you know, kind of being like yeah yeah and, you know like cheering for wally and then like when wally wins i was like yes he won i was like yeah i could, I could like i remember getting to the end of the comic and like this is you know kind of a rare feeling now that you get where you're kind of like turning the page and you're just like i don't know what's gonna happen like it's you know it's so -and -so, yeah is so-and-so gonna win like what's gonna happen and i was like you know turning the pages and i'm like what Wally won? Yeah, like, that's awesome. Like, I remember just being like, you know, I remember, like, going to school the next day and, like, bringing that comic, and I'm like, look, guys, like, Wally beat Superman. <laughs> I totally punched you in a circle. Ha, I win. <laughs> and, like, da -da, I just punched you a thousand times in one second, and you're defeated. I remember taking that comic to, like, school the, like the next day and you know passing it around the lunch table and everyone was kind of like whoa like I, I think it's one of those things where like someone would say like oh i've written a comic where you know so-and-so farted on silver surfer and silver surfer like was defeated and then you, you would argue about it like is that real does that exist so like i i kind of was like that like this was my proof like see here like you know flash did be superman yeah, I I think it's funny because I I told you before we started the show, Justin, that I was catching up on some of those Lois and Clark issues and everything. And it's funny their son John, before he knows that his dad is Superman, like he's running around with like the new Fifty Two Superman and Flash action figures, and he's like having a race between them. And basically, he he kind of says the same thing that Tony said, which is just like you know dude like flash's whole thing is speed so it's only fair that like he wins the race you know and like for me even though i'm like the world's hugest like superman fanboy like the way this is written like acquiesces to me as well because it's not like a uh you know justice league bruce tim thing where superman's like oh i tripped on a rock and lost the race or whatever <laughs> for like no reason it's like i like how like mitzelplik sets up rules where he's like look like this is a grounded race like you both will run on this specific path and yeah mitzelplik like changes things as they go and he splits it into two different paths or whatever but the idea is 
Superman and Flash are both going to run. And the way I always looked at it, especially when you read things like, you know, Hunter Prey and, and different things where you see just how fast Superman can fly, like my attitude as a Superman fanboy, and, you know, this may be this same kind of arrogance that Superman has where he's like, look, this is just a race between Kid Flash and Superman. I mean, I'm probably going to win, dude. Like, and it's like, for me as a Superman fanboy, my attitude was, well, if he was flying, he would have totally won. But he's running, and it's like, it's only fair that if they're both running, clearly the Flash should win, right? Like, that that's the only thing that makes sense. And, like, you know, and then, and then of course, once you throw in the whole, you know, aspect of, you know, the speed force, and he's the guru of, you know, you know, speed and and you know that kind of stuff then then it even becomes more extreme where people you know i remember there were you know all these fights on you know the wizard world showdown boards where it yeah. always be like you know you, you talk about like you ran around the playground so fast that you kicked everybody's ass like you know, on the wizard world boards it would have been like i totally stole your speed and gave it to all my buddies and we've all kicked your ass now <laughs> you know like that's basically because i have the speed force and i took it's like you think you're yeah. fast quicksilver guess what i took all your speed and gave it to fucking you know the turtle and the turtle whooped your ass you know and it's just like why can he do that because he like he's master of the speed force you know so it's like those kind of things were always you know to, to me like the, the the things that made the most sense about you know the, those kind of stories and the way they were written and everything and i i enjoyed it like i, I think the first time i ever saw the the cover to the original like the superman 199 was on the superman pretzel tin like i don't know if you guys have ever seen this but this 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 means a bunch to me like because this was like the first time i saw a lot of old superman covers like because it's not like you know i had the internet and i could just go look up old superman covers or whatever so it's like i remember the the, you know that's cool yeah that that actual you know pretzel tin like it came with pretzels it was like from like it it was basically from like a 50th anniversary like museum thing or something but they they basically sold it as this pretzel tin and so it was like the first time i saw like the covers of uh you know like whatever happened to the man of tomorrow and you know different things like that and so like that was a lot of times I would stare at those covers and go, oh, you know, a lot of the Silver Age covers, it's like the covers were always so cool because they made the story out to be like 10 times better than it actually was in the comic. So I'd stare at these covers and be like, man, I wonder what that story's about. And like, of course, seeing an old school cover and then it gets recreated you know, in in kind of a modern comic book, like you just kind of had the idea, like Tony said, that this was going to be sort of a, a retelling of a, a great classic story, basically, which is, you know, a showdown, you know, a race between, you know, Superman and the Flash. And, and I guess the other thing I'd mention about this, you know, as far as my thoughts on the issue is, you know, Dan Jurgens is like a steadfast and stalwart superman writer slash artist you know and he's been with the book for a really long time and i i I feel like i got a great deal of comic book education from watching different inkers ink dan jurgens because his art is so prolific but it's also been inked by so many people with so many different styles so like in this case you've got a guy like art to bear right and he has this kind of dynamic 90s-esque Jim Lee style. I mean, he took over the 90s X-Men book after Jim Lee left. So it's like, it's interesting to see somebody with 
Dan Jurgen's sense of layout and design and aesthetic, but then have it all kind of finished up with this very sleek kind of Jim Lee, quote unquote, you know, K-E-W-L cool look to it, which is throughout this issue and, and multiple other issues throughout this Adventures of Superman run. But then, it, you know, it takes a different feel when, say, you know, I'm just trying to think, but like Brett Breeding ink Stan Jurgens or Jerry Ordway ink Stan Jurgens or, you know, Klaus Jansen ink Stan Jurgens. And so you you get this thing where you're like, oh, you know, certain people ink Dan Jurgens and it maybe doesn't look as cool as Art to Bear. Or maybe when Art to Bear inks Dan Jurgens, it doesn't look as sort of I don't know what the right word is, but you know, it doesn't look as uh shaded and and complete as something that jerry ordway would ink you know like so it's yeah. like it, it it just it, it to me it's 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 always an interesting sort of visual to see somebody whose art style i'm so familiar with as dan jurgens but then see how how a different inker can change and you know like it, basically i guess it makes you appreciate you know inkers more you know in terms of the whole chasing amy thing where you know it's like you know there's a tracer. tracer right like it's like clearly dan jurgens is evidence that inkers are not you know tracers you know what i mean like like it just smacks you across the face like a wet fish you know like it's like they're not you know like that 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 those people have you know whoever's finishing up the book has a definite impact on on the visuals and everything like that yeah, I, I, I myself, I do draw from time to time. I know Derek does too. I, I, one of my favorite things is inking my own work because even when I'm going over it, yes, there is a tracing aspect to it. I mean, I do trace my general pencils and the, and the general layout, but as I'm inking, you know, I see those like, you know, those, those light sources in my head, like you know, how this character is standing. And that's the only stuff you can add with ink, you know, it's like, you know, how do I want this to, to pop and stuff? So that's really cool. I totally got magneto though. Because just like Magneto, when I thought it was Magneto in the old days, his name is is spelled Thybert. I thought it was Thybert. I did not know it was like French and it was to bear. So I, I think I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I that's how I've always pronounced it. So yeah, but I just I just make sure like people who are listening, they're like, uh, Tony's wrong again. He said Thybert. Uh, this, if it's to bear, you know, <laughs> that's not even how like that's spelled. I'm like, no, it's spelled that way. But if it is, if it is a French name, then yeah, it would be like to bear and not Thybert. So. I've never met the guy, so he's never told me how his name is pronounced. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're you're all good. I, I guess you know to uh, to wrap it up. Uh, it, it, it's it's funny because there is a lot of you know subplots in this that like you know are are mentioned and, and are brought up and everything. But it is it is a really straightforward, fun comic, and I, I like kind of stuff like that because it is a race between Wally and Superman. And like I guess that's why I said it had a classic feel to it because it is a classic story. It's not an old school story. I mean, it, it is got the the '90s way of storytelling. You know, even though it is 1990. And Dan Jurgens is is a great Superman writer. Some of his stuff. Is probably I probably read the most of Dan Jurgens as far as Superman. Anything I know of Superman is probably a Dan Jurgens story. That was also nice. You know, like I said, the cameos from the, you know the various JLI incarnations at the time that I really liked just added to it. You know, sure they didn't do a whole lot, but they were there and they were like you know cheering on and like you know you got some nice little various little word balloons from them and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just a fun comic and like sometimes it's nice just to settle down and and read a fun comic. It does have a timeless quality. Like when I read this, this was from the 1990s and over. 
25 years later, it's still like a story that I like could totally read now and not be like, you know, oh, this is this is some Silver Age bullshit or, you know, Batman in a, you know, in a costume made of rainbows. How stupid is like, no, it, it definitely holds up even today. Yeah. And, and conversely, it's not some 90s thunder thighs and big shoulders oh, yeah. bullshit either, you know, like, so, yeah, I mean, I, I maybe the the subplots may date it a bit because of the the supporting cast. But I mean, for the most part, though, like you said, it's a fun, cool, you know, classic story that, you know, involves two iconic characters. So I, I think that's pretty cool. My name is Bob Fisher. And I host a podcast called Superman Forever Radio. In every episode, I'll take an aspect of this character's long history and talk about it. From 1938 to the present day, from the comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, Superman has been part of my life for over 50 years. And if you'd like to know why, join me for each and every episode of Superman Forever Radio. So point your favorite podcatcher to Superman Forever Radio. That's Superman Forever Radio, supermanforever.com. And I guess we'll, we'll move on from there to my pick. We're going chronologically here. So Tony's book was in 1990. I am actually taking the Superman character, Shock of Shocks. And, you know, hopefully, you know, given all the promotional material, even though at this point in time we haven't seen him in the trailer quite yet but we're assuming superman's going to be in these justice league movies at some point i'm hoping and so we're we're actually covering superman here and i actually brought one of my favorite superman stories ever which is the adventures of superman annual 3 and this has a on sale date of august 20th 1991 and a cover price of two dollars because it was an annual this was a a crazy annual called beyond the reach of time it was 56 pages and it was from the ongoing crossover event that suckered you into buying all the annuals it was called armageddon 2001 and this annual was written by ongoing superman writer louise simonson and it was drawn by eventually to be superstar penciler of the Ultimates, Brian Hitch. And I guess just just to give a little backstory, I mean, basically, like Armageddon 2001 was this ongoing thing that ran through all the annuals. And apparently in a dark dystopian future, there was this DC supervillain who apparently had his origins somewhere in one of the heroes of the DC universe. And the idea was Wave Rider was a man from the future who had these time powers to not only go back through time, but he could touch you and see like your eventual future. So the idea was he was going to run around and touch all these superheroes and see which one of them was destined to become this kind of you know, Doctor Doom-esque armored super bad guy for the DC Universe, whose name was Monarch. And, you know, at this point, like, there were three Superman titles, and then there was Batman and Detective Comics. So it was, like, kind of like they were milking this idea, because it was, like, they had to come up with, like, kooky-ass reasons why Ra Wave Rider had to touch 
Superman and Batman like more than once. And so it was this kind of half-assed thing of like, well, since I touched them, it sort of changed the probability of the future. So I'm going to have to touch them again just to make sure. And then you start wondering like, well, doesn't that kind of defeat like the whole purpose? Because doesn't that negate like how would you ever know if it's going to be an alternate reality every time you touch someone? But you're, I guess you're not supposed to think about that, basically, and just enjoy the story, which is what we're going to try to do here, because, of course, this is one of my favorite stories. And so in this case, you know, we, we start in present day Metropolis and everything, and Superman basically is doing Superman-y things. He's, like, stopping people, driving around crazy, like, robbing banks or whatever. And him and Lois are engaged, and they're about to be married. So this is kind of in the era where they were sort of putting the wedding on hold, you know, because of the Lois and Clark TV show and all that kind of stuff. But they were, you know, they, they, this is the sort of perpetual engagement of Lois and Clark and everything. But what this book gave the opportunity to do was Wave Rider could then, you know, touch Superman and explore this possible future. And so essentially, you know, what ends up happening is Superman marries, or, you know, Clark Kent marries Lois Lane, and of course they discuss the possibility of having children in the future, and at some point Lois Lane does become pregnant, but unfortunately because the baby is part Kryptonian and has super strength under Earth's yellow sun, the baby kicks and Lois Lane basically dies in childbirth or you know she doesn't really even get a chance to, to birth the child it's it's just too much for her human body to bear and basically at that point you know superman gets super depressed and everything and he, he's almost like sort of in a slow agonizing suicide where he's gonna sort of just fly out into space because of course this is at the point where you know like we said a more marvelized kind of you know grounded version of the dc heroes so it's like superman couldn't just fly through space on his own power he had to have his little rebreather and stuff even though you know he'd just take a breath like every couple hours or whatever he traveled through space that way and so he's stuck out in the middle of the space kind of feeling sorry for himself when he runs into the alien race the Salir aliens who basically attack him and who should stumble upon him but Maxima, the Almarakian princess who basically in previous comics, you know, came to Earth and wanted to seek Superman as a mate. She was kind of like, it's kind of like she's like an outer space Red Sonia, essentially. Like, she's a gorgeous redhead. She's all about war and battle and, and you know, basically she wanted the best you know, man to marry her, someone who could best her in battle and who could bear her beautiful children and all this kind of stuff. And so that's why she was like totally into Superman. And at this point, he gets, you know, saved by Maxima and everything. And and then at this point, like, it, it kind of turns into a sort of lighter romantic type story where basically... You know, Superman goes back to Almorak with Maxima, and her servant Sazu kind of plants the idea in her head that, you know, maybe now that, you know, you know, because she, Maxima's a telepath and everything, she can, like, you know, read thoughts and, 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 you know, she can sense, like, you know, even without, you know, blatantly kind of 
breaching his privacy. Like, she can just read the anguish in Superman that he's getting over the death of his wife and, you know, uh, an unborn child and all this other stuff. But the idea is she's going to sort of placate to Superman's better nature. You know, Superman obviously isn't that into the sort of harsh rulership of Almorak and, and how, you know, Maximus kind of spoiled and demanding and kind of wants what she wants when she wants it. And so she's kind of placating to his better nature and, you know, sort of pretending to be a docile person and maybe gaining his trust. And, and I guess the idea between her and Sazu is that, you know, once once she kind of wins Superman's trust, then she can just go back to being the same old, you know, demanding princess that she's always been and everything. But what ends up happening, I guess, is that, you know, through their relationship and everything, you know, Superman kind of, like, changes her a little bit. You know, like, she's not the same person she was. You know, she she becomes a little less spoiled. You know, there's, there's a really cool scene where, you know, they make a, a wager, basically. And it's like, well, you know, she will give Superman his own personal, you know, ship to fly, you know, back to Earth or wherever he wants, you know. And, and if Maxima wins, then she gets a kiss freely given. And so they make this arrangement and, you know, Superman basically says, look, you're always, you know, being a bitch when you ask for stuff, but just try it nicely this time. Like, you know, if you do it nice, like, it, it, it's going to return to you tenfold and everything. And so she talks to this little cute kind of alien gardener who who's kind of all pissing his pants at first when Maxima says, you know, gardener, come down here. And she's like, oh, shit, I'm in trouble. But then, you know, Superman's kind of like, make sure you ask nicely, Max. And so, like, she basically says, please, you know, get me the, the, the best fruit that there is on this tree. And, and, you know, the idea is Maxima can read his thoughts and know what he's thinking. And, of course, because she asked nicely and because she smiled, like, this gardener just thought, she must think I'm the best gardener there is and to act so nicely and sweetly like that. And if, if the Kryptonian was here giving her this kind of influence all the time, I would get her the best fruit every single day. And so he, of course, brings her back this this best fruit there is. And, you know, Superman at that point, you know, is kind of like, see, you know, it kind of worked and everything. And Maximus kind of like, OK, well, the ship's yours. And he ends up kissing her anyway. She's like, why? Like, you didn't lose the bet. And he's like, I think we both kind of won in this case. And like, you know, it, it starts off kind of sad because of the events that happen with, with Lois and everything. But like, it, it does turn into kind of a cool, I, I, I guess it hits all my buttons where the story turns into like, it, it's got a cool sort of romance between two people that probably shouldn't get together. You know, it kind of has that whole Alan Brenner, Raven the Bold 197 vibe where Earth 2 Catwoman and Earth 2 Batman finally get together and get married. So there's, there's that kind of aspect to it for me. It also kind of has that aspect of in space because I love shit in space. I love that Superman gets to fly out into space and hang out with like an alien princess and, you know, fly through these huge ass warships with Brian Hitch, you know, basically the scale of things and the detail in, in his pencils and like the 20 million inkers that are on this annual to get it out in time, I guess. Cause probably, you know, even back then he probably was very slow. So that's probably why they had like 15 fucking inkers on this thing so they could get it out on time. But the detail in it 
the different ships, like dwarf, other like Superman ship, compared to I guess we, you know, I should mention the the main bad guy in this is kind of like this weird amalgamation between like Mojo and like I don't know, like some kind of you know Conan. It's like Conan the Barbarian and Mojo if they had like a love child or something like that. And and that that character's name is the scene, and the scene basically is this kind of creepy robotic cyber organic barbarian guy who is part of a race called the Krenons and the, the, the Krenons are kind of at war with the Almarakians but the idea is if if him and Maxima get married then you know hostilities might cease and everything but of course she thinks he's you know a brutish lout and you know kind of you know obviously they're not going to make awesome babies because he's kind of like a boar and pretty much probably doesn't even have any parts to make babies because he's so cyber organic and all this other shit and so you know the idea is they're kind of at odds but Sazu kind of sets up this kind of weird thing where you know she thinks she's going to make Maxima happy if because you know I guess Maxima even though she's kind of turning a new leaf she's still kind of living in the shadow of the ghost of Lois Lane and and Earth and all this other stuff so you know because she's sort of complaining about it you know, Sazu gets the bright idea to go tell the scene, hey, like, if you were to go to Earth and if you were to, like, totally blow it up, like, Maxima might be yours because, you know, you're, you're getting rid of something that's pissing her off, you know, and so, of course, he kind of swallows the bait and goes to do that. And, you know, Maxima kind of uncovers Sazu's treachery, but Superman's already headed off to Earth. To basically, you know, think things over. The idea is he's going to go visit Lois's grave, maybe, you know, kind of say his his, you know, make peace with with his kind of grief, and and maybe discuss things with Ma and Pa Kent, who are still alive at this point, and then maybe go off and actually, you know, spend the rest of his life with Maxima. So then he finds Desine's ship there, and that's kind of what I was talking about before. Like the Almarakian ship that he has is big, but then compared to Desine's like warship, it's like you're like, Jesus Christ, this is like, you know, the size of the fucking moon, you know, and stuff. And and so it's it, it's very awesome the way Hitch does the scale with the ships and everything in outer space. And that really, you know, touches one of my buttons as well. And and so, you know, at the end of it, you know, Maxima comes in to, to help and save the day. And they kind of have an exchange where they're actually, you know, all, all pretenses are dropped. You know, they're kind of truthful with one another. Like, she kind of admits, like, she was partially responsible because she's like, I didn't mean to, but me ranting and raving in the bathtub and looking all sexy and everything, you know, made Sazu go off and tell the scene to go, you know, trample Earth. And I... I never intended that, but I probably had a part to play in that. Of course, Superman's like, thank you for your honesty. And she's so kind of taken aback that they have this trust now and everything. And by the end of it, the idea is if he stays on Earth, you know, the Krenons are probably going to try to attack Earth. So instead, he's going to, you know, basically be taken under the wing of Almorak and Almorak was all ready to go to war with these guys anyway. So everything's all good. And of course, they go off and, you know, probably fuck every single night and have awesome Kryptonian babies and beat the shit out of the Krenons and everybody lives happily ever after. And that's the alternate reality. And of course, Wave Rider's like, huh, he didn't turn into Monarch three times. I'm going to leave this fucking guy alone now. So you know, that's how it, that's how it ties into the Armageddon thing. And that's how the story ends. You know, I, I could probably talk about this story forever and ever and ever. Like 
I love Maxima. Like, she's probably one of my biggest, like, crushes, like, growing up. Like, as far as, like, a fictional character on paper. It, this was 1991, so this is probably, like, the summer where I was going from middle school to high school. So I was, what, I don't know, 13 or 14? Like, my libido was probably uh, all so the way... So she probably buttons the other way, too. Huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my libido was all the way to the fucking moon. I, I always fantasized that, you know, someday, like, Cynthia Brimhall from the Andy Sidaris movies would, like, play Maxima. And, you know, of course, that's that's a whole other story. But, you know, like... that you know th that's kind of my deal with this like this is probably one of my you know uh, as far as like a, a one-shot story you know that isn't a multi-parter you know it's probably one of my top you know favorite superman stories ever and of course this kind of like i mean i made my own like kind of superhero comics where i had my own characters and the character that i made for my hero character that was called Sabrina, who was basically an alien princess, was a redhead, had a, you know, crappy evil father, and, you know, was in outer space and war games and all this other kind of stuff. Like, I mean, it was a blatant, like, I didn't even try to change the costume. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was just, it was, it was, it was Maxima, you know? So, but for my universe, you know? So it's like, I mean, eventually the only thing that I did different was eventually I had that character become my character's name was Midstar and he was kind of like the Superman type character but eventually I had her become Lady Midstar and at that point she did kind of have a semi-original costume because she looked more like like Supergirl or something like if you could imagine Maxima and Supergirl's costume it kind of looked more like that but I mean I, I I guess that's all I could say I mean it was super influential I I love the character and I, I have a customized DC Universe classics of Maxima. So I don't I don't know what else to say other than that. Like that, you know, that this is, you know, sort of one of my favorite stories and I really, really enjoy it. So that's kind of why I brought it. It's it's one of my favorite Superman stories. And also, of course, I really love the supporting cast and the art and, you know, the story and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm I'm kind of curious. I don't know if you guys have ever read this before. I mean, I obviously this wasn't something I picked up off Spinner Rack. I was, you know, buying Superman regularly in in a comic shop at this point. And uh, at this point, I was probably collecting all the annuals from Armageddon 2001, even if I wasn't, you know, I, I may not have been reading like, I don't know, like Hawk and Dove at the time, but I probably bought the annual <laughs> to, to complete the show, you know, so yeah, exactly. I, I will be a dickhead just because uh, it's an old story. Armageddon 2001 did have the worst reveal ever. The reason I said that about Hawk and Dove is because Hank Henshaw is fucking uh, Monarch, fucking Hawk. Well, you're it, welcome. It it was supposed to be Captain Adam, which probably would have pissed yeah, off more. But I guess this was back in the days where when shit got leaked, they actually tried to change it. So so they they tried to change it and of course it didn't make much sense but of course that thing i told you about where you had to touch guys multiple times and see multiple futures apparently that explained why when he touched hank hall he didn't see him becoming a monarch because he didn't touch him that second Not time Hitchcock. it's like it's like you're you're like only you're like only if he had two books i would have totally been able to find out yeah if we if we, if we fuck with him as much as he did with superman <laughs> 
Yeah. One thing I was going to ask you before we actually get into the the, the comic proper, it is a really good story. I actually did really enjoy this. I, I know of your huge love of Maxima, uh, you know, being your friend for the last, you know, oh God, almost seven years. I, I'm fully aware that you are a huge Maxima fanboy. And I would I would even dare say that, like, you know, we can use the internet term that you ship Superman and Maxima. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do. It's cool. I'm, I'm probably the only, only Maxima fanboy and the only Superman Maxima shipper in the world, but but I am. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nothing wrong with that. One one of the things I was going to ask you after reading this. Now I I know that Maxima has shown up before. You know she she's not just like brand new in this story. Right, right. But is 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 this the story where you became like a Maxima fanboy, or you just always been? And this was just like the story that you were like, oh, this is this is this is awesome. I I the the one the, uh, I I don't know if I I'm trying to remember if I bought the issue off a spinner rack, even though I was buying comics at the time or not, but the Maxima's first appearance was when George Perez came back to action comics after, you know, it had done that kind of what what I thought at the time was like a kind of crappy, you know, it was the action comics weekly thing. So I was like, where the fuck's my Superman? It's only two pages. Like, it's all these other fucking morts. Like, bring back Superman. So like when, when Superman came back in, I, I think it was like 643 or what... It, in the 640s one of them is the first appearance of maxima i think it's 644 now i didn't see that comic i actually bought it as a back issue but the comic that i remember buying was i i believe it was like the return of the krypton man saga or whatever and i'm pretty sure it was action 652 or something but uh, you know i may be getting the numbers a little off or whatever maxima's first appearance is in action comics 645 and derek would go on to pick up action comics 651 for the cover next described but that was the first time i saw maxima and that was the george perez cover where she is in her full on armor but she's in a telekinetic bubble underwater and superman is underwater and you can see the bubbles like coming out of his mouth and everything like it's a gorgeous cover and like that i mean it's kind of stupid but you know like i said i i was 13 my libido redheads like hot chicks like i was just like this is awesome like and and like you know of course it was kind of the typical you know, Maxima thing of, you know, uh, let's, uh, I want you as a mate, you know, like, let's, let's make babies. And Superman's like, oh, I don't know. You know, like, I don't think so. Whereas as a 13 year old kid, I was kind of like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, you don't want to hit that shit. Are you crazy? Like, what's the matter with you? Go hit that shit and make babies. Come on. Like, you know, so, so that, that, I mean, I think I was probably a Maxima fan long before I read this annual, but this is, this is what I point to is like, I I think it's probably one of the few instances like besides after panic, post panic in the sky where they kind of made her a justice leaguer and were trying to, you know, shine a light on her more positive attributes and not focus on the kind of, you know, spoiled bratty aspect of her character so much, you know, the arrogant aspect, you know, I, I, I would imagine in some ways if, if Maxima had been treated like White Queen was in Grant Morrison's X-Men run, like, I probably would have been in heaven. But it, it never went right. quite that far. You know, it's like Superman basically died and, and he was engaged to Lois. And, you know, th there there was too much of that stuff going on for anything like that to happen. But, you know, I, I guess the closest I got was when Extreme Justice rolled around and Captain Adam and Maxima were kind of a thing for, like, five minutes. And that was... The, the best I got. <laughs> like that, that, that made you happy. 
Yeah, like like Maxima is a very interesting character because she is obviously. I mean, I can't say that she is a match for Superman, but she is definitely strong. She is definitely a a powerhouse. She can you know give as good as she gets, and you know a lot of people ship Superman and Wonder Woman, but I will say this, Derek. I will give you something that may make you happy today. If I had my my druthers, as they say, if he's not going to be with Lois, if we're not going to have our, our our fairy book, you know fairy tale storybook ending like maxima is a lot closer to i think someone who could keep up with superman if that makes sense than wonder woman in my eyes and this story actually did show me that i wasn't sure about that you know all the time but this this actually like you said it had a lot of sweet moments and not not sappy you know like you know, we're in love. But like you said, that like Maxima not only is strong-willed and, 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 and you know, a, a cool character, but, you know, she she actually was open to change even though she didn't know it. Like she, she like, you know, found like a, a different kind of person inside of her gradually over the, the course of the, the story. And, and, you know, that's like, you know, I don't think I don't know if Diana would be able to do that. You know, Diana is always very like, especially nowadays in the later years, she is kind and compassionate when she, you know, has to be. But like it always seems like to me in front of Superman, she's always kind of hard nosed. And maybe that's because I've been watching too many Injustice 2 gameplays, but <laughs> But uh, Maxima seems like that person who maybe initially put forth the effort through very duplicitous means, but she, she, she actually does seem to have an affection for Cal. She actually does seem to like him, as opposed to like, yeah, yeah, she does want to have babies. She wants to have superpower babies, and she thinks he's like, you know, the ultimate, you know, specimen. But I, I really think there is like an affection for him from her, like a genuine one. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I think that's why they tried to turn it into the whole, like, you rejected me, like that kind of, you know, love can easily turn to hate because they're both strong passions, I guess, you know, like that's that's kind of how they they tried to play it in the regular books, I think, until the Justice League, you know, post Panic in the Sky stuff where it's like, you know, she just got butthurt that he rejected her. It would be so pissed off if she didn't actually like him. Yeah. You know, and at the time they were doing that Return of the Krypton Man thing, so he was even more kind of. Uh, uh, aloof and abrupt, you know, like, cause he was, he was basically in that storyline, he, he eventually starts wearing like Kryptonian garb and getting all, you know, logical Spock, like, you know, like non-emotional. Cause that's kind of how they were painting Krypton at that point in the pre-crisis stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Justin, I, I know I've been like uh, hogging the, uh, the, the talk about this, but you, you probably know more about Superman than I do. Uh, what do, what do you think about this uh, story? I had never read this before and you know, we, we had picked these comics some time ago, and I did not look at your guys' picks until this afternoon. So, I, you know, knowing Derek picked Superman, I was like, oh, I wonder what Derek picked. And then I saw the cover of, you know, Superman, Smooch, and Maxim, and I was like, ah, okay. <laughs> Makes sense. I sat down and read this. Like I said, I, I had never read it before, so I was kind of, like, intrigued by this. And, um, yeah, I, I, I totally see why... Young horn dog Derek like <laughs> fell for action because you know like I, I I have a thing for redheads too like I like I've said before on the show like they're kind of my kryptonite so like I totally you know I totally see like what you what you saw in her especially in this story because I'll be honest like I I haven't been exposed to a lot of like Maxima in comics so I've never really had any feeling for her positive or negative. 
but but yeah, like reading this, I can I can totally see uh, where where you would get that. Like this was a really good story. It was kind of like a you know a, a little bit of an Elseworlds or a what if. I do want to kind of like go off the the trail here and kind of go into something else. Like there there's something at the beginning of this book that kind of made me go hmm, and I was kind of wondering about like the timing of things and when things were released and maybe Derek can like clear some of this up. But like you know at the beginning. Lois dies from Superman's unborn child, right? So this like automatically sent my mind to like the the dialogue in the Kevin Smith Mall Rats. But they're engaged. Doesn't matter, it can't happen. Why not? It's bound to come up. It's impossible. Lois could never have Superman's baby. Do you think her fallopian tubes could handle this sperm? I guarantee he blows a load like a shotgun right through her back. What about her womb? Do you think it's strong enough to carry his child? Sure, why not? He's an alien, for Christ's sake. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. If Lois gets a tan, the kid could kick right through her stomach. Only someone like Wonder Woman has a strong enough uterus to carry his kid. The only way he could bang regular chicks is with a kryptonite condom. That would kill him. Like, was was this, like, idea predate Mallrats? Or, like, had this idea been, like, floating around yeah. for a while? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, because this, yeah. is, this is 1991. Like, I... I was about to go to James Logan High School, I think, at this point. Like, and I can sort of pinpoint, like, I saw Mallrats. Like, that came out October, the first year I went to Loyola Marymount. So, I, I, I this is totally random, but, like... I think it was 1994, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and And so, like, like, the... At the time, like, I mean, I, I had lived in L.A. for all of, like, you know, 20 days or something like that. You know what I mean? Like not very long. So it was like, I, I didn't even know where a movie theater was, you know, like, so it was kind of like, Oh, well, I, I want to see this Mallrats movie, you know, like, this is going to be cool. Like I should go watch it. I didn't know anyone. I didn't, you know, like, you know, know where to go and stuff like that. And I ended up going to century city, which probably, you know, relatively speaking was probably, it's not like it's like super far away, but like there were probably closer movie theaters I could have gone to like that were closer to the school. But at the time, I didn't know enough to know where those were. So I. By, by the way, Derek, uh, Century City sounds like the most D.C. city name I've ever heard. That's actually a real thing. <laughs> you know, you know, in um, in. um, Why can I think of it now? Uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, like. Like that's oh, yeah, that's yeah, cent yeah. That Century oh, okay. City was the shooting location. So like that yeah. future city, like I mean, obviously it didn't look like that when I was there. And now it's like, or at least now, I, I mean, I haven't been there in a long time. But the last time I was in Century City, it was totally remodeled as well. So I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's constantly changing and everything. But it's just, you know, all, all I mean is like, it, it's not even really a city. It's just like, you know, this this portion of you know, the malls and, 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 and movie theaters and stuff like that. But I mean, I remember, I, I remember going to, to see, you know, mall rats there and everything. And of course that was that time where I was like, dude, you know, Kevin Smith knows his shit about comics. Cause clearly, you know, if not Brody, like outright Kevin Smith, well, Brody must've read this, the fictional character Brody must've read this comic. Cause he talks about, you know, you know, 
kid would kick right through her stomach. Only Wonder Woman has a strong enough uterus, you know, like to to bear Superman's child, you know. So it's like he totally knew, you know, and 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 obviously Kevin Smith being the writer must have read this comic at some point as well because it's totally it's totally in there. I, I'm I'm like like slightly thrilled that like the fact that I still like Kevin Smith and a lot of people don't like him that we have mentioned him like twice now already in this <laughs> podcast. One thing that uh, you actually touched on that was actually definitely true is Brian Hedge is an amazing penciler. Like a lot of people love the George Perez's, they love the the Jim Lees, they love you know Todd McFarlane or you know early Frank Miller. But uh, Brian Hitch, you know, I know he's not like unknown. I know he's not like you know some scrub that nobody knows about. But he's a really damn good penciler. This this was a really like dynamic, fun like you know book as far as how he he draws and like you said, he does ships amazing. It's so much better without Mark Millar, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> But yeah, this this it, this is not a fun read because it does get depressing in the beginning, like you said. It, it is kind of dark at the at the forefront, but you know it's a it's a fun tale of redemption, and it's not just for Superman, but also Maxima. Maxima actually gets to be a better person as well, and you know it, it, it's one thing for Superman to go down a, ba- a bad path because you know Superman's going to come out of it. Usually, that's kind of a thing with Superman, even if he does something. Not does something, but if he if he falls into like a, a hole and he like feels bad about his his actions, he's going to come out of it. But with a character like Maxima, especially probably at this point, you know, in the timeline of her her character, you know, it's like oh she could probably be redeemable. She could probably do something, but she is very redeemable in this story. She she you know does you know I don't know if she turns a new leaf and like becomes just like the super good person, but she shows compassion and she shows that she is willing to be a better person for someone she loves. Hi, I'm Gene Hendricks. You may remember me from such shows as The Hammer Podcasts and The Quantum Cast. I'd like to tell you about some special shows that I'm doing with some of your favorite podcasters. These shows are all about the live-action versions of comic book characters, and I'm calling them... Legends of the Superheroes! In each episode, we'll be looking at a different TV show or movie featuring characters like... Wonder Woman! Dr. David Banner. And let's not forget about the non-superheroes, such as... Swamp Thing! And many more. Look for the Legends of the Superheroes specials under the Hammer Podcast at twotruefreaks.com. So you, you you guys want to talk about Justin's pick? Like, Justin, tell us what you brought for for this Justice League solo pick and, and what issue we're going to be talking about tonight. Well, the Justice Leaguer I picked is Aquaman, and I am bringing you Aquaman number zero. It has a street date of October 1994. It is written by Peter David, and it has art by Martin Eglin. And basically, the events of issue zero were kind of like picking up the pieces from issue two, because in issue two, we had this big throwdown between Aquaman, Aqualad, Dolphin, and Charybdis, which ended with basically Dolphin shooting Charybdis in the chest. But more importantly, 
Issue two is the issue where Aquaman lost his hand. So when this story opens, we have a dolphin escorting Aquaman and Aquaman back to Atlantis. The dolphins, th there are dolphins, you know, escorting them. And they're like, hey, we're not going to take you all the way to Atlantis. Atlantis is a scary place. We're getting out of here. So she ends up taking him the rest of the way. And the rest of the issue is kind of weird because it's basically Aquaman is kind of laid up in bed recovering from his wounds. And he has all these kind of like fever dreams. Like he dreams that Dolphin is like kind of like laying in bed with him and she kisses him. And then she like kind of like rips his heart out. And then he has another dream where he's seeing Mara and he's like, oh, Mara, you're back and everything's OK. And, you know, our son's alive. And then Black Manta comes in and they get into this big fight. He has like this really grotesque vision of everyone being kind of crucified, which I'll that up page always kind of disturbed me but anyway towards the end of the book there's like all these fish kind of swarming around aquaman's bed and then like the fish and aquaman like they get the hell out of dodge and dolphin and aqua lad follow them to the aqua cave where we had like this really great final page of aquaman standing before them and he's got his beard and in place of his hand he now has a harpoon kind of like taped to the stump and he's like tell me be honest is this a bit much and that is the end of the issue now i i, I picked this issue because it's it's not my first aquaman comic and it's not even my first issue of the peter david run that i bought but i picked it because it's so important and it kind of it sets the tone for like so much of like aquaman's history that you're gonna like read in the 90s you know when people refer to like the grim and gritty or when they refer to like the 90s aquaman like this is what they're talking about i mean he he doesn't get that 90s extreme suit in this issue like he still is wearing his classic you know orange and green aquaman suit but this does like see the introduction of a harpoon which the harpoon itself will, will later be replaced with his water hand yeah no it will be replaced with his more traditional like kind of golden looking hook which he can like shoot out of his arm and kind of like you know use it in various situations i remember like you know, because I am a big Aquaman fan, you know, like I, I've always loved Aquaman and Namor, but like I remember like seeing Aquaman number one from this Peter David volume and I was like, whoa, I got to get that. And then I remember like getting issue number two and I was like, I was like, nah, he 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 didn't really lose his hand like there, there's no way. I mean, you know, it's a comic book like, you know, it'll it'll grow back like he'll have like they'll do some kind of like thing where, like, you know, it's like. You know, like like an animal man, where like animal animal man can like you know use the ability of a worm and like regrow a limb. Like I was like, Aquaman will do something like that, but he'll like you know grab the ability of a starfish or something. Like th there's no way like Aquaman is gonna lose his hand. Well, picked up issue zero, which I well, I thought was weird. It's like you have issues one, two, and then zero, and then three. But whatever. I, I picked up this issue and I was just like, okay, there's they're really going for it and you have like at the near the beginning of the book you have like this kind of panel where like dolphin is still outside the city and she's kind of laid aquaman down and the the guards have came out and you know they're like oh man like aquaman's pretty beat up and they're like really how bad and this, there's like a close-up of his what's left of his hand and it's just bone like dangling from his costume and the guy's like pretty bad i was just like whoa like that like this was i mean it's weird 
now to like kind of think about it, but like back then as someone who was experiencing it and someone who was a big fan, I was just like, whoa, like this, I don't know. I don't know if I want to like go any further. Like this is kind of like, you know, uh, unknown territory. And it was a, you know, it did set the tone for the whole Peter David run. Like it was full of lots of twists and turns. And it was kind of a break away from like the Aquaman that you saw in Super Friends, which is always what people like refer to when they're making stupid jokes about Aquaman. You know, Aquaman's lame. Like, but Aquaman, he's the one, he's the bad one. I, I don't know. I, I thought I'm friends for him. I thought I can joke around for him, but he get kind of be sensitive, you know? When the, there's like a giant attacking New York or something, like big monster from space, and he's like pushing down the buildings, and all the super friends go, you know, they fight him except for Aquaman, because he's only powerful in water. So I make fun to that, and he say, wow, Aquaman can go again. <laughs> I think I hurt him. But there is one time, this is the last straw, I have to go on record for this. You know, I prepare their meals, I clean their room. I don't have to worry about Flash because he's very fast, you know. <laughs> he's in, he's out, I don't see him. You know, they're eating their meals, but then they eat American food. I don't, I don't, I don't like to eat that, you know. That's, that's, that's inhuman. <laughs> to force a Filipina to eat hot dog, chili fries, hamburger. <laughs> you know, so when they're all gone, right, you know, I, I turn on the blower in the kitchen really high, and then I'm cooking my Filipino food, you know? And then Aquaman came in, and he screamed, what are you doing? What are you doing? That's a crime. And I just say, I'm just cooking fish. I'm just cooking fish. I'm so sorry, Aquaman. You guys have clearly not read any Aquaman comics, and you clearly have never read any Peter David comics because Aquaman is totally not lame. And I think I mentioned this before, but like there's this meme I love where, you know, it's like a great shark is like attacking someone. And, and you know, you had like an Aquaman down there. He's like, you, my powers are lame. You said, huh? I'm useless. You said, huh? I was like, I love that because that's that's so like en encapsulizes the whole like Aquaman is lame. But like if you know anything about Aquaman, like he's totally he's anything but lame. But it, it was really weird to see a character that you loved kind of go through all these changes. I mean, it's like Aquaman with long hair, Aquaman with a beard, and then Aquaman with a harpoon for his hand. And he's kind of – is definitely not acting all hunky-dory and happy and you know rainbows and unicorns like he would on Super Friends. I, I'm kind of curious like what, what your guys' thoughts about this issue or like had had either of you? Well, I assume Derek has read it before. But like uh, Tony, had you read this before? Yeah, actually, I mentioned to you earlier. I actually had read this before. I forgot I read it because I forgot about Zero Hour because it, it was overall a, a really tiring crossover. But there were things that came out of it that were good, and this was one of them. And actually, I'm going to secret brothers you because last night I told Derek 
You know what really killed Aquaman? Super Friends. They made him so fucking lame, and everybody just remembers that. And Aquaman is not lame. He is not a fucking pussy. He is not lame. He is not weak. Anybody who thinks so can go fuck off. And the Harpoon Hand was a really good era for him because he really was badass during this time one of the ones i got actually i think it was the one where he got his golden hook because he was fighting deadline and he did the whole thing where he could shoot the the harpoon with like a, a string and not a string but a, but a cable and you know like swing around like kind of like spider-man kind of but yeah he was much more serious much more i wouldn't say grim but determined he was pissed off you know because like charybdis if i'm not wrong like he put his hand in like a fucking pond and like piranhas ate his hand off right yeah yeah well yeah he he basically like yeah yeah and like you know that just like pissed him the fuck off and in this this issue it reminded me of like you know the the flashbacks you know you have black mana which is awesome people can make fun of him but like one of the best costumes of a villain ever especially for a sea villain just I love Black Mana. I don't know why. I just always have. But this is about Aquaman. And this is Arthur Curry being a badass. And this is pretty much the Arthur Curry of like you know the animated series. He is this badass who just arrives and he's like, you know, fuck your world. I'm king of Atlantis. I do what I do. I'll help you if I feel like it, bitch. And, you know, I mean that, that that's him and like, you know. This era, he, he 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 gives no fucks. He's going to fight what he's going to fight, do what he does. And, and I mean, I, I give a lot of credit to Peter David, you know, and I, I forgot that I read this and I feel bad because it's, it's a really good, you know, issue. It's, it shows that he took a horrible thing, you know, especially like with Mara. This is like also like, you know, going with Mara, like, you know, with his son dying and like all that thing and him just being like, you know what? I have no fucks to give anymore. Dolphin likes Aqualad, and no, fuck this. I'm just going to fight and be like me. And yeah, yeah, Aquaman is a badass. Anybody who thinks anything less of him is, again, like you said, Justin, someone that doesn't read comics. I, I would say for for this issue in particular, like this was probably the first issue I read of the Harpoon Hand era Aquaman, partially because, you know, I was a big mark for all the event wide, you know, crossover stuff. Like I was big into zero hour and I'm pretty sure I bought most of the zero issues. And the other thing too, was this, I I know, you know, there, there are some Aquaman fans who aren't really into this era of Aquaman, you know, because it isn't the, you know, classic traditional Aquaman. But I, I will say, you know, I will say for Peter David, like, he always tells interesting stories and when he does these drastic dynamic changes it's generally to the best interest of the title you know it gets people's attention it gets people reading it and also i i gotta say it worked on me because like kind of like justin was saying like you 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 kind of heard and then i read this issue and i was like wait what like somebody ate fucking uh, piranhas ate aquaman's what like handoff, like what? I, and so I, I ran out and got like the first two issues of Aquaman after I read this, and you know I, I'm pretty sure I, I followed the book pretty loyally, you know, until you know I, I know it was like what was it like Larson and then Jurgens wrote it after Peter David, so I know I was not as loyal during those periods, but I know I know I read this book 
you know, long into its run, you know, just based on that, you know, that, that I enjoyed Peter David's work on the Hulk and, and I enjoyed the, the work here. So some of the stuff I noticed that, that was giving me memories, you know, kind of recall is similarly with some of the other titles, like looking at, you know, I, I know it's a series of kind of fever dream flashbacks in a way, but you're also sort of introduced to different concepts that would have long-standing impact on I think Aquaman's history and like his backstory in this particular run where like I, I really did enjoy the whole aspect of he kind of had his his dolphin mon pa Kent you know what I mean like the whole you know like porn and 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 that kind of like that that he was in in some ways you know I, I know some people make fun of it but it's like you know that that he had you know his his whole Tarzan you know raised by dolphins thing type thing going on where you know he had that family aspect and you know i i think most people think of like oh arthur curry and his dad was a lighthouse keeper and they think of the strict kind of origin in that sense but you know in some of these flashbacks it's like oh you're exposed to like aquaman's birth mother and his birth father and like that that kind of aspect is thrown into the mix and then the other thing that i thought of when i was reading this is that one panel where you know aqualad is also injured not as bad as you know aquaman losing his hand but aqualad is pretty seriously injured as well and so he's in like the atlantean med bay or whatever and the doctor's trying to patch him up and when dolphin kind of swims by you know he he has this line where he's like hey dolphin girl of my wet dreams hold up and like all I could think of was like, it, it was really like weird because, uh, you know, and forgive me, but you know, this is fan holes and I'm going to be crude, but like, it's like Dolphin was basically kind of like in this book as like a, a, a new love interest for Aquaman. And inevitably she became Aqualad's like sloppy seconds. And like, I, I it's like, I almost like see the seeds of that early on in this issue where you're like clearly Aqualad was into her and Dolphin was more into Aquaman but then eventually somewhere along the way it's like her and Aqualad got together and everything and and like I don't know it's funny like there's always like weird things like that in Peter David books like because I, I kind of felt that way about like you know Marlo and Dolphin kind of have that same like trajectory because like Marlo started out as like this hot chick in Las Vegas that Mr. Fixit was banging and eventually she marries you know Rick Jones so like that's that's kind of I, I don't know it's just some, it's some something I noticed some kind of commonality I don't know if it's like a psychological thing or just something that Peter David likes exploring but you know it seemed like a, a similar you know well, well, like like Garth w woke up one day and he was like you know what Aqualad's not working for me call me Tempest fuck me <laughs> Yeah, and, and I guess that worked, because then she had his kid, and, and everything was right in the world, I guess. Yeah. Tempest is a pretty badass name, though. <laughs> Except for it belonged to that other guy on the Doom Patrol first. Yeah, but he couldn't, like, you know, swim. And he's dead. Well, not, he's dead too. Not, not dead. He was dead and then not dead. So. Yeah. But no, no, like, 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 I, I totally give uh, Justin credit for picking Aquaman because a lot of people do shit on him. And me and Derek actually had a conversation about this. I actually don't include him on the Super Friends, not because I hate him, but because.
because he was treated so shitty on that show. He was he was routinely made to seem kind of doofy. And as far as like, you know, the Justice League lineup, I much prefer him being the loner who comes in and kind of does some badass shit instead of being a member. I would much rather him be like the guy who they go to than Batman. I really hate it when they go to Batman. They're like, we need you. It's like, why do you need Batman? He He wears a cape and he's like got daddy issues and like you know he's like fucking psychotic why wouldn't you go to the king of atlantis to fucking help your ass out you know it's funny because i know you and i tony were talking about some of the filmation cartoons the other night mainly in relation to the flash but i i will say that i i was exposed to aquaman mainly through those filmation cartoons and despite what anybody might think of the production quality of them today like at the time like you know to me like aquaman was a badass in those like i love his fucking hard water water ball that he would like smack people upside the head with you know i to me i wasn't like really you know tusky and aqualad and mara and 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 you know the the you know horses and all that kind of stuff you know the seahorses you know like like that 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 never you know i thought that was all kind of awesome like i i thought it was great and like the the, so so for me like i i guess i didn't have as much stigma against super friends aquaman by that point because i was still holding on to like like for me it's kind of like my my trajectory with superman like i always thought superman was a badass you know, all the way back to, you know, filmation and super friends and all that other stuff. So when I saw him going, Ooh, in the fucking Bruce Tim <laughs> stuff, I was like, yeah, but he's still a badass Cause I had that other frame of reference, you know? And, and eventually it got tiresome because you realized there was this whole generation of kids that all they knew was Superman went, Ooh, and they didn't have that other frame of reference. And it's kind of the same thing. The kids that only knew Aquaman as the guys is like, I would be able to help guys, but there's no water, you know, and like shit like that. And and you're just like, oh, man, like what happened to that cool dude who like, you know, made a hard water ball and like just totally knocked Black Mana upside the head? Like what happened to that guy who had a cool underwater cave, you know, as a base of operations who like ruled fucking, you know, two thirds of the fucking world, you know, like and so, you know, or, or, or if you go into it, you know, you know, the guy who can like call up a you know, a megalodon and eat a parademon or, you know, like things like that, where you're like, this is super cool. And and the other thing that's kind of cool is, I guess that, you know, Justin brought a book that really does delve into the, the sort of beginnings of, you know, I guess what the, the Tim Justice League crew like to call, you know, Aquaman, the barbarian, you know, the whole kind of like Aquaman is Conan or whatever, which, you know, ironically, we've got, you know, Jason Momoa who played Conan as Aquaman. So, you know, they're, they're, (laughs) they're they're clearly going in this direction, you know, the, the Peter David direction with the, the film version of the character as well. He's got long hair, he's got a beard. I mean, you know, as most people are apt to say, the, the only thing he's missing is the hook hand, but you know, Hey, you know, it's like, clearly this is, this is the direction they're trying to go with the character in the film universe. So it, it's cool to revisit this, you know, at, at its sort of conception, you know. The, the the savage Aquaman. Peter David did do a good job of saying, like, you know what? I cut off Aquaman's hand. You want to read this shit? And you're like, yeah, I kind of do. 
it's good to mix things up. And I think it really worked for him. I think a lot of people today take Aquaman more seriously than they did, you know, when before this started, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I think I think that you'd probably find that's true for a certain certain demographic of of comic book fandom. I just remember being very apprehensive at the beginning of this era. It is one of my favorite eras, and, and you know, I, I totally get, you know, the people who don't care for this era, like, that's fine. Like, I, I get it. It's not for them. It's not their, it's not their Aquaman, but, like, you know, for me, like, this, this is my Aquaman just as, what you know, just as Wally West is my Flash. Well, just whenever, one little thing I want to mention, it's like, when you're a kid, you read comics, you don't, you may not pay attention to like the writers you, you may pay you may be aware of, like artists and stuff but like i think one of the first few times i became aware of like hey this guy also wrote this thing that i liked you know i was reading this volume of aquaman and i was like hey wait a minute this is awfully familiar too and then i went back and i was like yeah like peter david like he wrote the atlantis chronicles which is something i remember getting you know, not when it was brand new coming out, but I I remember getting it and reading it before this volume. If you've never read the Atlantis Chronicles, like you definitely should, because the best way to describe it would be it's like Game of Thrones, but underwater. Yeah, that, that's Blue Suit Aquaman, right? No. Actually, it's not in, it's not any Aquaman. Uh, Aquaman is kind of like on like the last page of what like issue, the last issue, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The, What's the, your... the, Okay. The Atlantis Chronicles is basically the history of the people who, you know, would, you know, found Atlantis, and it, it takes place after like the Great Deluge, and it goes through all these different kings of Atlantis, and you know how they became water breathers and all this other stuff. It's it's very kind of like it goes like from king to king, from generation to generation, and there's all you know lots of like backstabbing and scheming, and you know this person is sleeping with this person, and you know they shouldn't. That's that's kind of why I'm comparing it to Game of Thrones a little bit, but like that's like I said, if if you've never read. The Atlantis Chronicles, like I, I recommend it, especially if you want to like maybe better understand this Peter David volume of Aquaman because there's a lot of callbacks to Atlantis Chronicles in this volume. Okay, cool. Yeah, I never read that. Uh, I, I knew that like he did have a reboot in like the '80s with the blue suit. I didn't know if that was him or was it just Aquaman in a blue suit. That that was Aquaman, but I mean that's that's a. a certainly a respected miniseries, but I think, I think that was kind of one of the first attempts to redo Aquaman post-crisis, but it really, it it didn't take off. And a lot of the aspects of that book were kind of ignored as, as newer material came out. Okay, cool. All right. It's just like really funny. And like how we progress in like this like thing, because we with the flash who sometimes people think is a lesser superhero Granted, with the TV show, like, he is a great superhero. And then with Superman, who is, I mean, honestly, Eric, I, I will give you credit. He is the fucking forebearer of DC Comics. He's, like, the, the, the greatest superhero of all time. I don't care what anybody says about that. I will agree to the other time that your right of liking Superman as being, like, you know, a badass is completely warranted. And then you go with Aquaman, who... 
is usually seen as like the weakest link, and he's not. You know, he's like he's 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 looked down upon by a lot of people. But most of those people, like Justin said, don't read comics. And if you read comics, Aquaman is really a fun, enjoyable character. That's why uh, Justice League always works in my mind. Is like you can take these characters, unlike the Avengers, where like Peter Parker is always Spider Man. He's not going to be the Hulk. But you could take a guy like Aquaman, and he might not be Superman, but like there's been many times where he's shown to be really strong, like powerfully strong. And, you know, he has the hard water abilities. And he has, like, telepathic communication with, like, fish. And not just fish, just, like, all aquatic animals. And he's much more powerful than people realize. And it's fun to go into these, like, solo series to find out how intriguing they can be when they're written well and actually treated with respect. You know who had a hook hand Aquaman figure? Total justice. Total justice. Does he have fractal armor? Because if you don't have fractal armor, you ain't shit. He does have fractal armor. <laughs> no, I, well, I just, I just wanted to get like just as back that like you know a lot of people shit. Well, I mean, fire and water podcast. You know, yeah, well, yeah. You know, they, 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 they see ya. You know, love Aquaman. Yeah. So. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soaking down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Van, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host, Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... All right, well, I, I think this is going to wrap up one of our many installments for our Justice League tie-in. When you listen next, we should have another series of solo picks with the remaining stars of the Justice League movie. And then after that, we're going to work towards a episode with our favorite Justice League picks coming so it'll be all through the month of november so of course look forward to that if you've enjoyed listening to comics motherfucker do you read them you may enjoy listening to some of our other spin-off shows such as toku thursdays transformers tuesdays sentai saturdays big in japan where we talk about anime and the fan holes podcast proper mobile suit mondays so check out all of those and you can, of course, find us on all kinds of social media. We're on Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, Instagram. You can contact us via all those social medias. We, of course, appreciate all the likes and feedbacks and retweets and likes and hearts and all that, you know, notes and all those good things that we get. 
And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC. Oh, yeah, you can email us at fanholspodcast at gmail.com. But, yeah, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, signing off. This is Justin, signing off. This is Tony, and uh, Mr. Mitzelplex is at it again. I don't even care. My name is Lex Luthor. I already fooled him once. Like if you if you eat a Snickers bar, then you go back to the fifth dimension. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're not you're not your fifth dimensional self unless you've had a Snickers. That's a play. <laughs> you don't sound like a uh, fucking. It's like you sound. Like like what? You, it's like you sound like Gilbert Godfrey. That's a play. Have a Snickers. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's like. Whew. Now, now you're back to sounding like Frank Walker. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Come together. Say something, guys. Say something, guys. Okay, cool. Yeah, we're good. Butt cheese. We're good. We're good. Uh, what? Uh, what? I was gonna go in, or I, I was hoping we'd go in chronological order, so it'll actually be Tony, me, and then you finish us off. Yay! Did last. But you know what they say: we save the best for last. Nice guys finish last. <laughs> Means you guys, are, you guys are chumps. I was going to say, um, Star Trek Nemesis was the last movie from the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No! <laughs> no! <laughs> oh, God. You broke your little ships. <laughs> <laughs> And we lost Tony, so we can't obviously start with Tony because he's gone. <laughs> he's gone. Darkside got him, or Stephen Wolf got him, or somebody got him. He ate the fucking food and left. <laughs> Son of a bitch. <clears throat> uh, I wonder if we're still recording. Well, apparently I'm still recording, so. I'm just going to imagine some kind of, like, itchy and scratchy thing happened, and, like, someone put his, like, internet line in his burrito, and he just chewed into <laughs> it. Uh, if, that soft talk certainly tasted queer. <laughs> it's like I have the internet in my mouth. <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> Positively shocking. Okay, let's see. Well, I guess he's going to have to add himself back to the call. Cause... Okay.
Hello. Okay, you back? Okay. Yeah, for some reason, my uh, next book said, Fuck you, Dylan. Okay. Fuck you, Dylan. She is a hottie. She's a hottie. Maxima is not ugly in any way, shape, or form. Derek is away for a minute. I don't know if I ever say this name right, because I already fucked up Dibert uh, to bear. I always call it the fucking, like, guy Charybdis. Is that right? Yes. Okay, cool. Nice. I can do Greek fucking names, but I can't do fucking American names. I'm fucking amazing. That uh, Me and my buddy have, like, this running joke. Like, you, you know in D Space Nine you have the Maquis? Yeah. Right? So, like, the way it looks printed and the way you s- pronounce it are totally different, right? It doesn't look like you pronounce it Maquis. Well, anyway. Um, when, when, when we were kids, like we had this friend named Tommy and he thought he was like the big, you know, know it all, like knew everything, especially like comics and Star Trek and stuff. Well, anyway, he called the Maquis, the Maquis, like repeatedly. Yeah. (laughs) And I like took him to town over that. I was like, dude, like you obviously haven't seen any next gen or deep space nine because it's. They call themselves the Maquis, not the Maquis. <laughs> they say it. Um, so, like, this, me and my buddy, we still have this running joke, you know, 25 years later. Like, if we see, if we see some kind of, like, word, you know, like Charybdis, we would be like, hey, how would, how would, he, how, how would he pronounce that? And we would uh, be like, you know, Charybdis or something. <laughs> Charybdis. <laughs> <laughs> the Marquise de Sade. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like when I I when I was really young, I was like, it's Island, not Island, Island. <laughs> you know, what my favorite song is Cessna Vive. <laughs> That's an old one. I don't know if everybody even heard like say Lovey. It's like say Lovey. It's kind of like Art T. Burt. Burn. <laughs> No, that's, I just said that. I, I thought it was steeper. I didn't know it was the bear. I really yeah. didn't. Yeah. Hey, hey, at least I, at least I admitted it. I, I said it was a magneto thing and magneto thing. At least I, I owned up to it. Awesome, awesome. Is it? How do you pronounce his last name? <laughs> not so easy, is it? Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's Egland, but I, okay. I, I'm not. You know. That's that. That's what I was thinking. But uh. Yeah. Have we picked our uh, our lineup for the uh, the uh, second mm-hmm. wave of yeah. justice? Yeah. yeah. Did I already pick that too? Yeah. Yeah, you, you, God damn. you, you, you were assigned Batman, so you're trying to be all like clever and shit, and you picked that Might Fall book. So it was not a atypical Batman story. I wasn't trying to be clever. Just, well, you, you, know. you were you were trying not to pick an atypical. You know, you were trying not to pick like an obvious Batman story, so you picked Might Fall. Oh, okay. You're giving me credit, actually, is what you're saying. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to uh, slam you. I'm just saying you're, 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 you're you know, you're trying. Yeah, it's not like you're like, oh, Batman, let's talk about Hush. Bleh. You know, it's like you're, you're trying to pick something that's, you know, 
off the off the beaten path that maybe some people may not have heard of, you know, and may enjoy. No, well, I was thinking about. It. I was like, I was like, man, maybe I could pick Cyborg. They might pick Cyborg. Well, I I'm I'm Cyborg for the next one. So. Oh, okay. So you're you're the uh, you're the you're the Maxima like <laughs> the 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 Sire or whatever his name is, you know. <laughs> That was fun. Yeah. yeah. Actually, actually, I actually did like both you guys' comics. Like, I forgot, Justin, I read that. Like, I forgot that I read that fucking Aquaman comic. I think, I think, I think Derek does have his trump on as far as like really good, like, storytelling, though. That was a, that was a fun read. I really did like that Maxima thing because, like, she was she was pretty fucking cool. Never been a big Maxima fan, and now I'm kind of a Maxima fan. Yay. My work here is done. Dun-dun-dun, 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 dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun. 